Welcome to Navigating Law School Admissions with Miriam and Christy. In this episode, we are going to give you advice for your present and your future self as an admitted student. This is the second half of our two-part discussion focused on how to be your best self in two stages of the admissions process, the application and after you have been admitted. We are once again joined by the absolutely amazing Sandy Williams, Assistant Dean for JD Admissions at NYU School of Law. Sandy, we're so excited to have you for this little mini-series. It's so much fun to be here. Thanks for having me. And we're back for another round of the road trip favorite, Fortunately and Unfortunately, where we tell the story as a group, taking turns and adding a new detail or twist in the narrative as we go, alternating between Fortunately and unfortunately, as the prompt for each step. So this time, I guess, our hero is going to be a recently admitted law school applicant. You hit the nail on the head. Here we go. Once upon a time, Darnell decided that he wanted to go to law school. He took the LSAT, wrote the essays, and asked for letters of recommendation. Then he submitted nine law school applications, including an application at his top choice fictional law school, FLS. Fortunately, he received an email directing him to a status checker. And when he checked it, there was a welcome email saying, Darnell, congratulations and welcome to FLS. Unfortunately, he didn't pay attention to some pertinent details in the email. So he wasn't aware of the timing for applying for financial aid. Oh, God, Darnell, those things are important. <laughs> Pay attention. Actually, this is actually pretty crucial, Darnell. <laughs> Fortunately, he was matched with a wonderful 2L who shared his interest in health law. And the 2L happened to mention to him that he should really reach out to the financial aid office, which spurred him to look back at his emails, find the financial aid application and submit it. Unfortunately, when he submitted the application to financial aid, he also sent an email to the head of the financial aid office, which strongly implied that it was their fault that he had missed the deadline and saying that he was going to negotiate and said that if he did not receive a financial aid offer of X dollars, he would just be going off to VLS Law School, which was clearly a much better school than FLS, and he would be happier there Anyways, <laughs> fortunately, he realized that his email may have been a tad bit aggressive. So he decided to call the financial aid office and make a connection with one of the representatives directly to explain his earnest interest in attending FLS law school and his desire to come to some understanding about how to finance his legal education. Unfortunately, when he got his financial aid award and was disappointed by it, he decided to elevate matters directly to the dean of FLS and put it on Twitter. Fortunately, I don't know how you come back from that, guys. Fortunately, the dean of FLS was a total Luddite who didn't know how Twitter worked, and that email went straight to their spam folder. Otherwise, Darnell would have been totally screwed. Fortunately, <laughs> he also realized the error of his ways and sent a very sincere apology to the dean of admissions, who realized that young people sometimes made mistakes and 
allowed him the chance to still attend FLS despite all of his terrible, unfortunate behavior. And when he accepted his offer at FLS, he lived happily ever after, was an amazing student, and eventually made his fortune in the law and donated a building, which was the Darnell <laughs> building at FLS, and all was well forever. <laughs> All right. You've now been admitted. Hooray. Celebrate. Eat that ice cream. Now you've got to decide where to go. All right, Christy and Sandy, let's start broad. So how do you get to know all of these schools that you have been admitted to? Once you're admitted, there are a lot of ways um, to get to know a school. And our admissions teams work really hard to make various avenues of connection available to you. Um, I would say try to speak with as many members of the community as you can, from current students to members of a particular student organization to faculty and alumni. Um, the admissions office will certainly help facilitate all of these contacts. But I'd also recommend um, reaching out to various administrators on campus. They're also an excellent resource, resource at this stage because they'll give you a good sense of the institutional support you'll receive throughout your law school journey. If you can and you feel comfortable, come to campus to visit. And if you can't come to campus, hop on some of the virtual events we are all certain to offer in spring 2022. As with recruitment, I am certain that virtual events for admitted students are here to stay. So we're recording this in mid-2021, and I think none of us know whether we're going to have uh, real campus visits. But assuming we either do uh, in 2022 or into the future, how can you make the most of one of those visits? Because I agree, like Christy, I think they're uh, really a critical part of the decision-making process. Observe, observe, observe. So at some point in your visit, depart from the minute-by-minute minute cruise director schedule that we in the admissions team are certain to give you, telling you where to go when, and just I find... I feel like you're running a camp. <laughs> hey, kids, now we're going to move on to our next activity. <laughs> Sneak away from the camp counselor, find a place to sit in the student lounge, eavesdrop on conversations, take a temperature check of the energy, just take a look at the bulletin boards. Does this all feel right to you? And, and when you take the time to visit a school, try to be sure to sit in on a current class. Whether or not you end up at that particular school, uh, you'll really get a sense of the academic environment and a feel for, the law, feel for law school in general. And if you have the opportunity, ask to sit in on a 1L class specifically if you can. I will say that it's also important to get a feel for the neighborhood or the town or the city where the school is located. Um, because beyond the school, this is the place where you're going to be living for the next three years. And you want to make sure that it's a place where you feel comfortable and you're going to be able to thrive. What do you guys think about that? Um, yeah, I think the best way to get a sense of a new community is to visit it and walk around. Just walk around. Um, and don't just visit during the day, right? Um, explore the environment at night as well, because the energy of a particular area can completely change um, when the sun goes down. You want to make sure that you feel comfortable um, in your surroundings. And if you can't, visit personally, try to find, you know, 
someone from, you know, your current community who's attending that institution or try to find a local either online or through friends who can give you their honest, unbiased opinions. I can tell you folks who live in New York will certainly give you an honest and unbiased opinion. If you're visiting NYU, go to Third Rail Coffee right That's around right. the corner. That's it's my right. favorite coffee shop from when I worked there and I miss it. <laughs> <laughs> So my advice for visiting a location is to know thyself. Do not be shy about investigating the small things that you might feel silly. You, know, it's the, the, you might not want to tell someone this is a make or break aspect of living in a community for you. But if they're important to you, they're important. So do you love biking as a form of transportation? Scope out the bike lanes in town. See if there are bike racks easily near the law school where you're thinking of attending. Do you love the idea of relaxing on a sprawling campus lawn? Maybe that's the tip factor that puts law school A over law school B for you. Yeah, I think that's totally right. Are you absolutely a Midwest person? Go to a school in the Midwest. That's a great reason to pick a school because there are excellent schools everywhere. Do not let U.S. News or Reddit or some professor tell you that you should pick another school in a community that like doesn't feel right to you. And if it's the bike lanes that put it over the top, that's okay. You're going to live there for three years. Know yourself. Totally. All right. I think it's fair to say that admissions teams are always super excited to connect our current students who we love because they were once our admitted students who we knew and thought were incredible and now are our amazing current students to our equally fantastic admitted students. So if you're one of those amazing admitted students, how should you maximize your chances of making a good match when it comes to a current student? Right. We definitely want to make sure that you make the most out of your connections with people in our community. So I think it's uh, really important to be clear about what you're looking for um, and communicate that information clearly to the law school representative who is trying to introduce you to someone um, who we think you'll click with. Right. And that may be our office. So, you know, either through a survey or through an email, but it could also be a student from a student group or sometimes even a faculty member. Sometimes I'll have faculty members email me up and say, hey, I just spoke to so and so. And they actually really want to talk to someone who's, you know, working in the medical legal partnership. And I'll be like, oh, great. That's such great intel. Thank you. And then I can make the connection. So just make sure that if you have something you really want or a student who you really want to speak to, you let us know because we can't help with it unless we hear about it. That's right. Just just spend some time thinking about who you want to meet. If you want to know everything there is to know about working in the housing law clinic, ask for a student who was in that clinic recently. Um, but if you just generally ask for a student interested in housing law, you might get someone who shares that interest but opted for a different clinic in that year. So you really need to communicate the information that would help an admissions office match you appropriately. And it's totally fine to come back to us and say it was kind of a bust. You know, we know that some current students get really busy. Sometimes they can flake out. Sometimes the match just wasn't a good fit for one reason or another. This is your one chance to pick a law school. Come back and say, hey, you know, I spoke to so-and-so. They were great, but I'd really like to talk to another person who's more focused on A, B, and C. That is not a problem. We're happy to do it. Right. It comes back to knowing yourself and knowing what's important to you. 
All right, on to faculty. So uh, talking to students is one thing, but talking to faculty can feel, I think, a little bit more intense for a lot of admitted students. So what are your thoughts, um, Christy and Sandy, about connecting with faculty? Should admits do it directly? Should they wait to be introduced? What is your advice? In my view, I think there's no harm in reaching out to faculty proactively. You can find their email addresses and their assistance email addresses, usually on the law school website, but with a caveat. That's provided you have a genuine question for them that's not easily answerable on the school's website. Yeah, do some do some Googling first. Exactly. And keep in mind the role of faculty at law schools. I had an admit two years ago email a faculty member to ask about the process for registering for clinics. This was a faculty member that doesn't do anything with the clinics. And she felt I think she felt a little confused that she was even being asked about the clinical registration process. Can I just say, like, you don't have to talk to faculty. I think totally I'm fine. Right. Yeah, it's totally fine. Some of my my admitted students sometimes feel like that's an obligation. That is an opportunity. It is totally cool not to uptake it. You are not going to be behind if you don't speak to faculty. You will have many more chances over the course of your law school education. Don't worry about it if you don't want to do it. It is not a big deal. I'll I'll tell an anecdote when I was admitted to law schools, I remember uh, going to admitted student events. And it was, a, it was a school that wasn't Harvard. They had a luncheon and they sat me next to a faculty member. And I had a nice conversation with her. But I remember thinking at the time, I was like, ah, I kind of wish I had just had a couple more minutes with the students that I had right. been wanting to connect. Like, that's what was actually important to me. I didn't want to talk to faculty members when I was admitted. And my life turned out just fine. <laughs> all of the stuff we're offering is totally optional. That is true of all events. It's true of all matching. It's true of all connections. That is all like a menu of things. You can choose to say yes to everything or no to everything. And you should feel totally fine with whatever you decide on. All right. So now let's move on to the alumni uh, piece of it. And I know Christy and I have spoken about this and we have similar views. Um, so let's say the school you're admitted to has some, you know, super fancy, super famous alums. Should you ask the admissions team to match you up with a specific alum? So let me channel Destiny's Child and say, no, 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 no. <laughs> I think we've all gotten these requests. I mean, it just makes it sound and feel like you're using the admissions process as an excuse to meet famous people. It happens to me, you know, a few times every year. And it it just makes me feel so awkward and weird. It's just an awful feeling. I think it's the way to approach this is to think about the types of people you want to speak to. You know, I'm really interested in the following issues, or I'm really interested in someone who's practicing on the West Coast, or I'm really interested in someone who transitioned from government service into, you know, the political sphere. And then we can look at our bank of alums who we know are happy and interested in speaking to admits and find someone who best matches those criteria. That's something that we're very capable of doing. If you're asking for specific people by names, that puts us in a really awkward position because that may not be an alum who's in that bank of people who's available to speak to admitted students. And the more famous they are, the more difficult it is because if you connect with them, then we might have 10 more admitted students who are like, hear about it and then want to do it. And we might not be able to do that for 10 people. And so just Think about it more as the types of people, why do you want to speak to them and sort of imagine being in our shoes and, you know, maybe have some th sympathy for us a little bit too. There's a lot of people with amazing careers who are never on CNN. 
you you might have not have ever heard about them and they might be the perfect match for you. I sometimes think too that if you really want to learn about the school, speaking to the more junior alums might actually often give you more information about the school in its current shape than someone who's been out of school for 20 to 30 years. And so that might be something to think about as well uh, when you're thinking about the kinds of alums you want to speak to. That's not always the case, but sometimes that the reason we've picked the alums we have is because they're closer to their law school experience. I don't know what you think, Sandy. After our rant. I agree with that 100%. Um, when we try to match admitted students with alumni, we really do focus on younger alumni um, because someone who's 20, 30 years into their career, um, while it could be useful to speak with them generally, it'll be difficult to get a sense of what your life might be like if you enroll in that law school now. Um, so we really do try to match you with both current students and recent alumni for those reasons. All right. So let's switch topics away from con community connection. So faculty, students, alums, and now to the financial aid process. So Sandy, I'm going to hit you up for this one um, because this applies not, not so much to Harvard or to Yale. How should admitted students go about negotiating merit-based scholarships? So first I'll say... I like to use the term appeal their scholarship as opposed to negotiate their scholarship. I like the reframing. <laughs> um, and I, I just want everyone to remember that each school um, and each financial aid office is working within a set budget and allocating available funds based on their own institutional priorities and constraints. Um, and if you receive gift aid and you would like the school to reconsider it, um, you should reach out to the financial aid office to inquire about the process for formally appealing your award. At some schools, the initial award may be final. Um, there may not be an opportunity to appeal. But if a school does entertain appeals, make sure you have a clear understanding of what new information would help the scholarship committee come to a different determination. Um, some committees will determine scholarship awards based on your application materials, while others may request additional details. Um, at the very least, you should be prepared to share copies of other offers you've received and focus on schools that you're seriously considering. Um, the other thing I'll say is that it can be helpful to explain that you have a genuine interest in attending the school and you're trying to figure out how to make it financially feasible given your own personal circumstances. Um, regardless, you should make sure that at every touch point, you want to set the right tone. Um, remember to be professional and respectful throughout this entire sort of appeal process. Because if you come across as entitled or argumentative, you're unlikely to persuade a school that they should increase your award. All right, Christy, what about negotiating need-based grant aid awards, which is the entirety of what HLS and YLS provide, and I know is some of what NYU provides. So to get us all on the same page, let me let me describe a bit what we mean by need-based grant aid. 
So typically schools that offer need-based aid do so based on a preset formula. So there might be extenuating circumstances that warrant adjustments to the inputs in that formula, but the formula is set for all admitted students. And usually those formulas are public. So you yes. can usually find the financial aid handbook or the on schools' websites, and it will tell you how you know those aid awards are calculated in, in quite a lot of detail. So the financial aid team will request certain financial documents and information from you. Different need-based teams might ask for different variations in the types of documents, so be prepared for that. Um, They'll ask it from you, and then unless you are above certain age cutoffs, typically your family, the financial aid staff then pulls the requisite inputs from the documents themselves and calculates your financial aid using the formula. So if it sounds like I'm making it sound mathematical and formulaic, that's because it is. <laughs> so don't think of that. I, I would encourage you to think of this less as a negotiation for need-based aid and think of it more as a conversation. Help the financial aid team understand what information they should input for you and why certain other information might not be needed or might not be warranted in that formula. So the word conversation is always the one I use when I describe the engagement between uh, admitted students and current students with our financial aid office. Uh, it is a formulaic process, um, and we do have very clear and public financial aid policies, but that doesn't mean that I don't think it's important or we don't think it's important for admitted students to speak one-on-one -on -one with the financial aid office about their individual circumstances. So one of our very core values is um, equitability. So we're not going to make an exception for one person just because they they want us to. That that would cause the whole system to fall apart. Similarly situated people have to be treated the same. But the reality is that almost no one is exactly the same in terms of their financial circumstances as anyone else. And so the more we can understand people's individual circumstances, for example, are they supporting uh, a family member who, who can't support themselves? Well, that might be someone who's at a dependent and essentially a dependent-like situation for them. We can make adjustments for that. Is this someone who has some unexpected or uh, big expenses coming up that we need to know about? We want to know that. And often it's in those one-on-one -on -one conversations that those nuances come out. So I strongly encourage every single admitted student at YLS to set up an individual conversation with their financial aid office just to make sure that they understand their award and that any of those nuances can come out in those conversations and we can take them into account and make sure that our formula is being properly applied to their individual circumstances. And when you're having these conversations, know that calling out to your very high LSAT score, your incredible performance in undergrad or your master's degree, while all really wonderful in terms of your life experience, those aspects of yourself are not actually part of your financial aid and not part of your need-based calculation in a need-based system. And the other thing that's not part of a need-based system is the award from any other school. And that includes both merit-based awards, no matter how big they are, and also need-based awards from other schools. So even though the, the need-based awards from HLS might be quite similar because our formulas are similar to YLS, they're not the same. And so there can be differences in need-based awards between different schools because we do take different things into account or take the same things into account in slightly different ways.
every school has limited resources at the end of the day and makes policy choices about how to allocate their grant aid based on their own institutional policies. All right, Christy, I think this is time for a little anecdote. <laughs> so I one other piece of advice I have is if you're from a relatively wealthy family, do try to I think the need-based system can be really frustrating for individuals who are from wealthier families who might feel like they've, they're getting really amazing merit-based scholarships at other schools and yet getting nothing for schools that do exclusively need-based aid, but do try to have some perspective. Um, so I know Miriam is asking me to shout out an admit from a past cycle who lives next door to a Kardashian and was very salty that they were not eligible for financial aid at HLS. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> I'm crying tears right now. <laughs> so let's talk about one particular circumstance that some admitted students face, which is asking for a deferral. Uh, I think Yale Law School is the school that traffics the most in deferral, so this is something I'm very familiar with. So let's first uh, just define our terms. So essentially, a deferral is where you're admitted in one year, but then you request to begin in a future year. So Christy, how should applicants go about, or I guess in this case, admitted students go about requesting a deferral? I lived this once upon a time as an admitted student requesting a deferral, so I feel I feel qualified to speak on this topic. You're qualified to speak on many <laughs> topics, Christy, this one included. So in short, make sure to read the school's deferral policy very, very carefully. You can typically find the policy and the process information on a school's admitted student's website or on emails that have been sent to you. If you can't find it for some reason, feel free to ask the admissions office about the deferral policy and they'll send it to you. Schools differ in their policies, and that's important to remember. There is no uniform law school deferral policy. So if you're admitted to school A and they guarantee deferrals in XYZ circumstances, don't be surprised if school B does not offer the same guarantee. Each school will have its own circumstances that warrant a deferral and may have different limits on the number of years you can defer. Something else that can often defer is the timing. So at one school may say you have to request the deferral by date A, and at another school, they may have a different or a later date to make that request. So for example, at YLS, we're extremely generous with one-year deferral requests. We grant those almost automatically as long as there's a reasonable reason. We're much tighter for two-year deferrals. Generally, those are reserved for things like two-year graduate degrees or military service. And at Harvard, we're really comfortable granting two-year deferrals as a matter of course, but not as comfortable with you redeferring. A redeferral is somebody who says that they want to defer to a future year. The future year comes and they say they want to defer again. We limit the circumstances in which you can redefer. So Miriam, now a question for you. What should an admitted student do if their deferral request is denied? So I think you just have to recognize that the decision of whether to grant a deferral is a discretionary one for schools. And it really depends in, to some extent on the year. So this was the year there was a lot out there in the news about how a lot of schools were encouraging deferrals because classes were bigger than expected. It was the exact opposite last year when we were getting tons of requests related to COVID to defer. And so we, at least at YLS, had to be very uh, tight and precise. And we made sure we followed our deferral policy very carefully. At the end of the day, we actually granted almost all deferral requests, not quite all, but almost all. But we were very, very careful to follow that policy. 
That's a really good point. It can differ from year to year, and a lot depends on the circumstances and the school's needs. So at Harvard, for example, we very very famously in June 2020 offered the opportunity to defer for all admitted students, all incoming students, absolutely no questions asked. In 2021, we went back to our standard policy, and I don't expect that we will have a click here to defer cycle ever again. Let's hope anyway. And if your deferral request is ultimately not approved by a school, know that you do face a choice and it's a big kid choice. Do you enter law school this upcoming fall, even though you'd prefer to defer? Or do you take a leap and pursue the opportunity that interested you and that caused you to ask for that deferral request and then reapply in the future? And we've had a number of our admitted students face that decision. It actually comes up the most for people who've deferred for one year and we've granted it. They come back and say, I want more years of deferral. And we say no, because like Harvard, uh, we tend to be uh, tighter with redeferrals and initial deferrals. Some of those people decide, you know what, I'm going to start law school. And they do. Some have decided to uh, just withdraw, essentially, and some of them then reapply. Sometimes they're readmitted and sometimes they're not. And so it is a very complex decision. Uh, There's no right decision for everyone. And it's one you should think very carefully about if you're in that position. I can imagine some listeners thinking, so what? Why should I care whether an admissions professional or a financial aid team member gets salty or annoyed with me? I already got in after all. What does it matter? So why should admits care about what any of us think of you after they've already made it through the gate and they are admitted students at our school? Should they care? Um, Christy, maybe you can offer your thoughts on this. So if you end up at the school, it's it's an absolute emphatic yes for me. You should care what the admissions office and the financial aid office has to say about you. Law school communities are really small, even a relatively larger institution like HLS, and they are much more tight knit than you might assume. A lot of folks at HLS have been working together for literally decades. The professor that you've exhausted with questions, the alum that you ghosted after setting up a time to talk, the financial aid staff member you yelled at on the phone, you have now set a reputation with all of them already. And believe you me, they will remember you. And when a fellow professor mentions that he's considering you for a research assistant position, you don't want that faculty member from the admit stage saying, oh, Jack, I remember him. You wouldn't believe the email he sent to me. (laughs) That's right. It happens every year. Every year. (laughs) As far as whether or not you should care about what an admissions team member at another school thinks, uh, maybe you, you think you'll never come across them again. And you know what? That might be true. But I'm not sure I'd take that risk. The legal world is very, very small. I also just think more generally, you're entering into a profession where it's a small profession and starting to get into the habit of behaving professionally, treating everyone you meet with respect and empathy and um, sort of good behavior. That's a good habit to get into. Whether you expect it to lead to negative consequences for yourself later or not, it kind of doesn't matter. That professionalism is just an important thing to do because it's the right thing to do. And you know what? We all make mistakes. We've all been guilty of that. And that's okay. Just like Jennifer and Darnell, sometimes (laughs) you do something you regret later. Just own it apologize for it. That's cool. No one's going to hold it against. We get that this is anxiety producing and stressful and that, you know, people have bad days. 
But if you know you did something like that, just kind of take ownership and everyone will let it go. All right. So a final general point that I think is one to make. So all three of us obviously represent selective schools. I think sometimes people, once they get in and they get to the other side of this crazy, intense, insane process, they can get a little bit too caught up in it um, once they're at the admit stage. In other words, we create monsters. (laughs) (laughs) You said it much better than I did. Yes. You know, we in some ways stake our reputation on you guys once you've been admitted. That's how I feel. I feel like, you know, I go off and tell my faculty they're all amazing. And then, you know, it's super embarrassing when I hear from current students or faculty members or alums. And believe me, I do every year that an applicant has sent them some ludicrous, inappropriate email or engaged in a phone conversation that's just horrifying. We always say that 10% of the admitted students create 90% of the work. And trust me, you just don't want to be in that 10%. What do you think, Sandy? Oh, a thousand percent. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you just have to, you, you have to make sure that you remain as, as Miriam indicated earlier, um, just, just polite, gracious, thoughtful, um, because this is when you start to build that reputation and you don't want a bad reputation to precede you everywhere you go within the law school community. You knew it was coming, the lightning round. What should you definitely, definitely not do if you're an admitted student? Huh. So the first thing that comes to mind for me is don't ignore scholarship acceptance and seat deposit deadlines. (laughs) Make sure you're clear on all of the pertinent details um, for the schools that you're considering and that you understand how they want you to accept your scholarship and submit your deposit. For some reason, year after year, we always have admitted students who are confused by the process because they haven't read through um, the information that we've sent very carefully. And there could be some really significant consequences if you overlook these details um, and don't do these sorts of things on time. So just just pay attention. So my definitely don't do is do not complain about the gift that you receive from the admissions team. It's it's a gift, folks. Um, Do not. (laughs) I find it very kind of, I find it really petty and entitled. Um, I'm thinking of the seven paragraph email <laughs> I received a couple years back about the free water bottle that we handed out about our admitted students weekend, at an admitted students weekend events. And it had links to all the better water bottles on the planet. Wow. Yeah, it was, wow. someone put in a lot of effort there. Uh, <laughs> we can't revoke an offer for that, but we sure want to. Just think of it as a, just, it, if you don't like the water bottle, it's totally fine. You never have to use it again. But um, know that someone on the admissions team spent some time and has a limited budget and make, kind of made choices and making them, you know, bringing them down um, is not, it's, it's not a good look. So every year there's a tiny handful of people who don't say they're not coming. Please, it's okay. We get it. We know some of you aren't coming. We bake that. In fact, we bake that into our calculations and we need some of you not to come. Otherwise, we get into the over-enrollment situation that we all know is not what anybody wants. Just fill in the form, people, please, because we need to then move on and make other decisions. 
Are we going to admit from the wait list? How many people? Like, what what is the class looking like? It takes literally five seconds to just click the withdraw button on the form. I beg you, I am pleading, please do it that very small courtesy of clicking withdraw. We're not insulted by it. It's okay. We get it. We really and truly, I think I can say for all of us, we wish you well, no matter what. It's not personal. Please. Next year, I want a 0% non-acceptance rate, especially at least from listeners of this podcast. You you seriously don't, you do not need to even feel like you need to take the time to write a thoughtful email that you're withdrawing. Those no. are really nice. I appreciate them, but just fill out the form. I do appreciate the thoughtful email, but it is not necessary. But the form, please, please, <laughs> just fill it in. Please don't ghost us. <laughs> yeah, don't ghost us. <laughs> Sandy, thank you so much for chatting with us today and sharing all of your wisdom with our listeners. Do you have a final piece of advice for everyone who's listening on how to be an awesome admitted student and or applicant? You can throw that one in there too, if you want. All right. Challenge accepted. Um, So if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, be professional and polite at every (laughs) stage of the process. And with everyone you encounter, even if you do not intend to enroll at a particular law school, like we said earlier, legal circles are smaller than you think. And this is when you start building your reputation in this arena. So just be nice. You never know who's going to be at uh, OCI the next summer. If it's that (laughs) alum that you met from a school you didn't end up attending. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, Sandy. And listeners, we hope to connect with you soon someday as applicants or as admits, perhaps. And we look forward to you being really, really nice. <laughs> and filling out Everyone listening to this podcast is really, really nice. Very nice. <laughs> good about that. <laughs> This podcast is produced by Ryan McAvoy from the Yale Broadcast Studio. 